no all black that, that's gay. I'm going to um, I'm going to push that away, and I, I pushed it deep down, and I'll just hide that and just we'll forget about that one. It does hurt those comments because that, you know they're talking about almost like talking about your family. I'd set the bar so high that that every game I played was, was never really going to be up to the, the standard or the level required. I think I might be uh, attracted to guys. I think I might be gay. There is that underlining current of just anxiety and everything of, oh, we've got to win, we've got to win, we've got to win. I was an absolute nightmare around the house. You have a complete outer breakdown because I've just lost it all. Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. Today's special guest is none other than Campbell Johnston, former New Zealand all-black rugby player. And he's become the very first all-black to come out as gay, saying that he hoped to take away the pressure and the stigma. His dream was always to be an all-black. And in today's conversation, you're going to get let inside his mind and his heart from a young boy with this dream and how he got there in a really incredibly pragmatic and powerful way. And then we get to talk about leadership, high-performance mindset, teamwork, and sexuality. So sit back and enjoy the show. Campbell, a huge welcome to the Lead on Purpose podcast. Thank you. Thanks. So great to finally connect with you. I know that uh, you're in demand. I know that people want to connect and, and learn more about your story. Uh, you've got an incredible story and uh, such a high performer. And we're going to jump into those high performance moments, what they meant to you, how you got there. And I guess to get the ball rolling, I'd really love to know, where did your passion for rugby truly begin? Um, I think my passion for rugby truly began, like, like many other you know, Kiwi kids, probably hundreds of thousands probably Kiwi kids had this 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 passion when they were younger. Um and it was around about when I was four or five and I was lucky enough to have older brothers and they were playing, you know, rugby in the in the backyard or in our case it was, you know, we're on a farm so it was in, in the back paddock. And um I I jumped in would be playing, you know, rough and tumble stuff with them at an early age and and just really, really enjoyed that sort of idea. And then I think I I just basically begged my parents to let me play a game when I was four. I think it was in my brother's, my second oldest brother's team because it was the closest one to my age that probably was suitable. And they were like, okay, just, you know, probably because they just had enough of me nagging them. They were just like, yeah, fine, out you go. And from that moment, I just loved it. I mean, even though there's, you know, as a kid, there's no structure or anything like that. It was just the whole whole idea of just running about, you know, they're, they're chasing the ball, um, tackling the, the combat, everything just really appealed to me. And then, and also, I guess, our household was sports mad, and um, my father especially. And, you know, you have that coming through, and you're always watching sports, and you always got the All Blacks 
you know, always on TV and, 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 and it just resonates with you, that whole passion and desire that, that you just want to, you know, to achieve that, that level of, of what you see on TV, that, you know, these, these awesome, amazing legends of the game. And they're just, you know, for a kid, they seem like, you know, <laughs> seem like gods to you. But, um, yeah, so that, that's where it, where it started, really. Um, Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. And I guess when you think of a Kiwi kid, so I've got a little boy who's about to turn seven. The idea of becoming an all is an absolute dream. And it's such a difficult thing to achieve because only a certain amount of people can do it. And they've only got a little window in their lifetime to actually achieve it. So when did that start to seed in the back of your mind? When did you start to think that's exactly what I want and I'm going to get after it? Um, that probably, that whole idea of, of wanting to be in All Black, it, you know, honestly, it probably was when I was about four or five, that, that seed was, was there. I had just this, this massive drive and just desire to, to, to want to be an All Black and, and, and I knew there. I didn't really understand the process of getting to an All Black or or, or how you do it. All I knew is I wanted to be there, and and then I just sort of fell into things and and games and and rep teams and and then when you start making rep teams and you start, you know, uh, I think the first rep team I made was um, in Hooks Bay here. There's a competition called the Ross Shield. Which is is a it's a big competition in, in Hooks Bay for age for um, school kids. It's around eleven and twelve, and it's a weight categorized um, tournament of under fifty two kilos. And um, so I made I played for Hastings East was the uh, team, and then I was lucky enough to make the Hooks Bay, which they call the Hooks Bay Primary School team. And then when you make these teams, you know that that adds fuel to the uh, the desire, and it just makes you. You know, you suddenly start seeing the steps that have to be done. You start, you know, cogs start turning in your head and thinking, okay, so this step got me here, Hastings East, and then this Hastings East step now took me to Hooks Bay Primary. What's my next step? What's my next step? And that was that was how I programmed it really in my head. So I suppose that is a, a kind of goal setting, but in a very raw, raw sense. I think it's brilliant. And it's, um, it's unintentional, but you knew exactly where you wanted to go. That was the, the back of your mind. And then it was one step at a time. And I guess what I'm hearing is you built your self-belief every time you did something or achieved something, it started to build that inner belief. Yeah, yeah. And and also, you see, I saw the other teams. I would look look and see, like, okay, so Hooks Bay Primary is um, the rep team I've made now. And then I'd look and, and ask people, well, so what, what are these other teams above up here? And, you know, when you're 13, 14, and, and, and I was lucky enough to have, um, you know, uh, coaches that helped me along the way. And I'd say, oh, you know, you, this is um, maybe, I think it was uh, Hooks Bay under-16s, and then it goes into New Zealand under-16s. Oh, sorry, under-16s, Hooks Bay, and then it goes North Island under-16s, then it goes New Zealand under-16s. and. I was like, oh, okay, so oh, interesting. So that's that path there. I'll just lock that in and, and 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 work towards that. I love it. It's so pragmatic. And I think that's when I talk to great performers or leaders, when they start to explain their, their process, it comes back to pragmatism. Like, hey, I just knew where I wanted to go. And it was one step at a time. Mm. And I guess 
a big thing for me is I always think of my own childhood and what I did as a performer. And a big part of it was the influence of my parents and caregivers and coaches. Like they were huge. So for you, who would you say are one or two people that had the most profound influence and impact on your life? Um, well, you know, like like probably like most a lot of people, is your parents have a, a massive impact. But my parents had an impact in the sense that they never forced me into playing rugby or, or forced me into doing anything, but they always had the the um, the, the saying or, or, you know, if whatever we wanted to do, whatever we tried to do, as long as we gave it 100%, then that's fine. As long as we went at it 100%, go and do it. And also with my parents, they, they you know, they were just, they had so much, they sacrificed so much, like, Taking me to games and 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 getting up early and and you know, going driving all over the country just to you know you know take this this kid to his rugby game and and I think back to when um uh, when I was like I think it was maybe 13, 14, and fifteen um those years when I was at high school when rugby got called off because of rain or because the fields are too wet or it was school holidays. I was a I was an absolute nightmare around the house. Like I was just I was a real pain. And <laughs> my dad would actually sit down and ring all his mates and ring anybody he knew that had a team that was playing and ask them, you know, look, do you want someone to come and sit on sit on the bench? I've got Campbell here, you can come and sit on the bench and just look, you just have to entertain him for an hour. That's all you have to do. And and you know, <laughs> and he'll be happy. That's and, so um, good. Yeah, and so yeah, dad would dad, dad would do that, and nine times out of ten, he'd he'd get me a game, and um and and off we'd go, and and you know for him, and I guess for mum as well, it was like, oh, we got that angry kid out the door, and he's now, he's now going to be happy for the rest of the week. That's great. Um, and then you know going through school, um, I had um a few really good coaches, and I was fortunate enough in that area. Um, I had a a uh, coach called Michael uh, Alex uh, Matthewson, um, who was a he was a, a ex hooker and um, played a little bit overseas for wasps and things like that. And my father knew him, and um, he sort of was coaching Hooks Bay Primary School when I first made it, and then he sort of helped me, you know, um, understanding I guess rugby a little bit more and a little bit more clarity around you know, some structure and things like that. Um, and then at uh, high school, there was a, my first dean coach was a guy called Grant Gilbert. And he was, um, he was very influential in my, uh, in, in my early days in my career, especially because um, he, um, he came up to me and said that, uh, you know, you should look at playing in a nice way. You should look at playing in the front row. I think it would suit you a lot better because at that time I was playing um, number eight and um, he was really meaning was, you know, you're not really going to be tall enough to play carry on at number eight. And the other thing is you probably don't have the greatest hand-eye coordination to be a number eight and, and skill set. So, but you've got this massive, I guess, drive and desire to achieve. Um, how about you try the front row? I, I, you know, he said I really think it'll suit your game, and he gave me a um, gave me a, a 
a book, it was an article in World in Rugby World Magazine, I think it was back then, the, the English um, publication. And it was an article written by um, Jason Leonard about playing uh, front row and the skills and the, the technique and the um, and, and the um, the um, key strengths that were needed. And I read the article and I was just, I remember reading it thinking, yeah, this sounds pretty cool. This sounds a pretty good position. And um, I thought, yep, I'm going to do it. And so I jumped straight in and, and learnt it. And uh, I've... I you know read lots more about Jason Leonard and I he you know he probably became a little bit of a you know a, a mentor or a player that I I looked up to at the time and 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 sort of watched his um his his techniques and his his his, his um his articles any articles he he wrote or whatever I I try and find and um you know and Grant Gilbert would help me with all that so um yeah there were some key people and then um. As I got further, when I went to Canterbury, some influential people down there were the likes of um, uh, it was um, Steve Hansen, there was Wayne Smith, um, which you know need no you know no explaining there, um, and there was also a guy called Rob Penny, who was a coach down there, and he was he was he was very he was really good. Rob Penny was was a great help with me just on the whole. Um, just keeping focused idea and 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 not getting too too not don't don't beat yourself up when um problems arise and, and that so and and just on the um skill set as well Rob Penny was was really good but um I think every coach that I've had has had their little bit of um influence in my career and I've always taken <clears throat> you know I don't think there's any coach that I haven't learned something from, which is, um, yeah, which is, I just thought of that. I, I don't think there's any coach that I haven't learned anything from, which is, um, I think that's, I've been very fortunate in that sense, or I've um, just been able to um, um, find points that need to fix my game and, and, and take it from there and, and that. So, yeah. As you might be aware, recently we made the decision to remove all adverts and promotions from the podcast. Why? Well, your listening experience is my priority. So we decided to remove them all and in return, I've got a very small favor to ask of you. If you enjoy the podcast and the incredible guests that we bring on, can you please follow and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Please also leave me a rating and review. The reason this is so important is the more ratings, reviews, and followers I get, the more the show is promoted to other incredible people like you who really get lots of value from the show. So please do that. And also, massive ask, please share this with three other people in your life. Share the show with them directly. Copy and paste the link. Tell them you've got to listen to Lead on Purpose. I hope that it impacts their lives and it really helps me to grow the show. So I really appreciate it. And let's get back to the show. That says a lot about you, Campbell. And I think, well, I know not everyone is coachable. Uh, some people's ego gets in the way, their self-defense, their lack of self-esteem, and they just can't take feedback. And you've probably had players around you or people around you, and you've seen that happen. And I think the people who rise to the top are people who can take it on the chin and go, you're right, I didn't play the way I should have. Or, you know, I've got something that I've got to improve. So I think that says a lot about your psychology. It says a lot about your willingness to grow. 
Yeah, yeah, no, you're right there. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess because I, <laughs> maybe because I'd, I'd set the bar so high that that every game I played was was never really going to be up to the the standard or the level required. So there was always going to be improvement, and there was always going to be a need for someone to critique, someone to just um, give you proper and real feedback, real constructive proper feedback. And I guess also given. Yeah, I guess my makeup is 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 um, something that I I'd rather someone just come up and just say straight to straight to me. Look, you had a terrible game. Like you played absolute this, this, this. Look at this, and then you know, for me, that's that's perfect. Instead of coming up and going, oh yeah, you know, it was, your game was okay. It's like softly, softly, never really worked for me. Just you know, pretty much being blunt with me was the best way. And I I guess a lot of coaches. For, to their credit, knew that was the best way for me, and they um, just said it and then helped me. So yeah, yeah, I think that's crucial. Is just being open to it and having the right coach that knows how you like to be coached. That's mm. crucial. Yeah. And in terms of that, that next step, so you came to Canterbury, and obviously that would have been a great training ground. There would have been a lot of learned lessons there, good lessons, tough lessons. What was the step then up to the All Blacks? What did that look like? When did you get the big call up? Um. So obviously, yeah. So there was Canterbury, which I, I came down to in um, nineteen ninety-seven. I think it was a few years back. Um, and then, so the steps were obviously the Canterbury. Um, there was various rep teams within Canterbury Colts, uh, under nineteen Colts, I think. And then um, I made the step into Canterbury, and then from there the step was the Crusaders. And so I made the step to the Crusaders, and then. I was <clears throat> I sort of knew that I had one last step to you know take and and I just had to just you know buckle you know buckle down and 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 really try and fix a, a a spot in the Crusaders where I was getting regular game time and 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 people you know selected were seeing seeing me in that and it was 2005 I think we had a um, the the, cam- the campaign with the Crusaders, and I was getting a fair amount of regular game time. And then I was selected for the the um, All Black trial. They re- re- reinstated, I think, brought back the All Black trial in two thousand and five, and that was held in Napier. So I made it into the trial, and we, as Crusaders, won the uh, Super fourteen that that year. And then, so we had the final on the weekend, and then. The, the next weekend after the final, we had the, the All Black trial. So we had a few days of celebration and then we had to um, um, go up to the, the uh, trial and, and, and uh, train and prepare and, um, and, that, and then play the game on, um, on, on Saturday. And it was quite a surreal experience, really, because I, I was really, really relaxed. Like, for me... For some reason, it seemed like I, you know, it seemed like deja vu. It seemed like I'd, you know, because I'd played this over and over in my head a thousand times, this whole sequence of, of making that final step, no matter how it was, there was the whole sequence and there was a game there and, and it was just like, it seemed, yeah, it went really quick. It could have been because I was probably quite excited and really, you know, just pumped to be there, but the whole feeling was very relaxed, and then I remember coming off after the game, thinking, um, thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd, um, 
I'd played okay, and I thought, oh yeah, sweet, that was good. Now, um, now I, I was my thought process was now I've, I've I've got the first chance there, and I didn't. I honestly didn't really think it was going to happen that year. I sort of had the process there. There would be a two step in my own head. I'd write, you get a trial, you get, you get, you know, you, um, you, you cut your teeth on that. And then the following year, that's your big one. That's your big one. But um, I, was, I was surprised and um, a little bit shocked and was um, named in the uh, team um, after the, uh, the, the, uh, the trial that year. So um, that sort of uh, brought things forward a little bit for me. It's incredible. And I want to just unpack one thing you said there. You talked about um, you were confident. You were There was a relaxed confidence when you were there because you'd played it through uh, in your mind a lot. So that idea of visualization, the more people, whether they're leading countries or companies or they're athletes, they talk about visualizing the end outcome or visualizing the goal. So what did that look like for you, you know, leading into Canterbury, into the Crusaders, into the All Blacks? Where did visualization show up for you? Um, yeah, I, I probably visualize <laughs> probably every day about you know being an All Black or or, or 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 in a in a smaller sense, I would visualize my games. I'd visualize um, uh, my scrum technique, um, key points that I wanted to um, achieve in the game. I would I'd, I'd got quite. Um, I guess quite anal about everything and, and rugby is I would set, um, you know, four goals before a game and that would be my focus point. So I'd, I'd visualise those goals leading up that whole week of, you know, where I wanted to improve and, and things like that. And then on a larger scale, I'd, I'd be visualising, you know, um, the the whole all black childhood dream as well. As it was, was, yeah, it was probably always just burning in the back of my head the whole time. And then, you know, as, as we... Finally, as I finally got to this trial match, it was um, yeah quite surreal and 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 almost deja vu. It's like oh yeah, I've, I've been here. I, I kind of know what's going on here. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so powerful. Like when you use it to that extent, it's interesting. Chatting to John Key a few years back, you know, he was talking about when he was about nine or ten, and he visualized and then spoke out and said, "Mom, I'm going to make." a million dollars and then after that I'm going to become the Prime Minister of New Zealand and he believed it he said it he repeated it and then he thought about it through his entire life so I think that high performers and people who do succeed at what they set out to do are continually playing that that model that visual model in their heads it sounds like that's really what supported you on your journey yeah yeah definitely yeah it's, it's um yeah, it's something that yeah was definitely you know I guess it's a a, a film clip that's just on repeat the whole time. It's just, you know, just going through your head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that would have shaped your decisions. It would have shaped your behavior, how you showed up, what time you got out of bed, what you maybe food you at, you know, all the different mm-hmm. things that come with that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. That was, um, yeah, that was a yeah, big driving force, like, because everything you did was geared towards that end goal. Um, you know, decisions you made, like, oh, uh, shall I? I don't know. Um, go have a late party with with my mates. Oh no, I, I won't because I've got you know training and, and that and because it will set me back. And then I don't want to be set back. I want you know. You become very um, yeah, um, very hard nosed with your uh, you know, and 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 somewhat selfish really. But it's more of a uh, inner selfish 
darkness that I guess that you, you start to drive. I mean, you know, you, you do cut out a lot of a lot of niceties in your life, but um, it's all because you want to and because it's it's where you want to get and 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 you know and your family always recognize that and they always support it which is mm-hmm. and and so do you know your coaches and that so yeah and some people would call those sacrifices and i think it's fair to call them sacrifices but i think when you want something so bad you don't see it as a sacrifice you see it as part of the process right yeah yeah you just yeah you see it as it definitely you see it as part of the process and you also just see it as uh, something that that a roadblock or something that's going to get in your road. If you know you're like, well, then no, that's going to hold me back. So, I'm, you know, you see it more of a, a, a I guess, that, yeah, as a, as a roadblock. You know, if they if it does get there, you're like, well, no, that's going to stop me. So that's that, that's out. <laughs> I love it. It's simple then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is simple. <laughs> What about the people around you at that stage? Like if we think of like uh, Canterbury and then in the Crusaders as well, what about the people around you, your friends, your family? What were the sacrifices that they maybe had to make or what did they have to go through um, because you had to stay really vigilant um, on your game, on your habits? But what was the experience like for them? Um, well, I guess I touched on my, my parents' experiences was the um, – the grumpiness and that, the, you know, the angry child who wasn't getting his rugby fix or his rugby game. Um, but um, for me, um, I guess my, I guess the only thing was, in, you know, that my parents probably, well, they sacrificed a lot, but they probably more sacrificed probably their time taking me to places and things like that. Um, but um, other than other than that, they 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 were very supportive um more than you know more than more than anything they would um you know they, they would see me training and 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 encourage it and you know they would never say oh i think you've done too much or anything like that you know they'd always be incredibly supportive um friends and and that probably um you know probably always you know you sacrifice a little bit of the um the the I guess the social life and things like that, um, but I never really they didn't no 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 friends of mine really had bad comments or anything about that because they all you know they all I guess they all knew that if they <laughs> made a bad comment then I guess they'd be out as well that would be them uh, <laughs> cut as well like uh, so they were just like oh yeah we can't make this event that's fine he's um he's focused on his rugby. So, um, so yeah, I was probably very lucky that I had very supportive family and friends and, and, and that, and with teammates as well. And especially the uh, Crusaders in Canterbury, um, everyone was in sort of in the same mindset and, and we had great, great theming and, um, great culture driven with by the coaches. Like, uh, Robbie Deans was, was amazing at creating awesome culture and theming within the team. And and to get everybody on board on the same goal, and the mindset was that you know, if you saw someone that was wasn't on the bus with us, you know you wouldn't you wouldn't kick the dog while he was down. You'd get the dog back on the bus. You'd help you know help that guy with what you know whatever he was going through or whatever he was struggling with, whether you know mental skills, whatever. We'd we'd all help and get him back on the bus because we had the understanding that everybody had to be on that bus for us to be successful. And that's incredible. And I think about what you're saying there. 
So you've got a skill set, which to be a great performer in any field, you've got to have skills. And then you've got the mindset and the heart set. And that's, you know, the heart sets, the believability, the intention, how you show up. But that mindset, for a moment, if we just focus on that, what do you think was a winning mindset? So when you were playing your best, when you were showing up, you were doing your job brilliantly, What? how would you describe that mindset? Um, I'd probably describe that mindset. Mindset is 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 was was happiness. Um, you're you know really happy in a space that was really you know good and confident and and just happy with everyone around. Everyone was in a good mood. Everyone was focused. Like yeah, it was a you know it was a real atmosphere of I yeah I'd, I'd say happiness would be you know um, and and you know there wasn't that. You know, sometimes there is that underlining current of just anxiety and everything of oh we've got to win we've got to win we've got to win and 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 it puts a lot of pressure and there is always that there but the best times that we were going and, and running as a team when we were all happy and we all had so much you know fun and enjoyment in the game that the 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 winning factor was there but it, it just it just came with it because it was getting carried with that whole, it was just, you know, yeah, it was in, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe, but I hope I've tried, I've tried my hardest there, but it's, um, yeah, it just, it just flowed with us where our, our positive energy was, was going, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. And if you think about that feeling, like everyone having that mindset of like, there's contentment, there's happiness, we're having fun. What do you think were some of those key ingredients that ha- that led to that? What were the things around you in your environment um, or in training or in coaching? What were the wee things around you guys that helped you be in that state of presence? Um, so I honestly believe that we we set out our – at the start of the season, we'd have theming and we set out our direction of our where we wanted to be and, and what we wanted to achieve in this competition. And so everyone – had the goals and had the desires and um, and the team uh, the team um, idea of of where we wanted to be. Um, we all preset it at the start of the season and and a big you know meeting in that. And so somewhat so so naturally just was lodged in your consciousness that 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 winning this competition is where we want to be. But we didn't actually really say that out loud. It was more everyone sort of knew that was where we wanted to be and knew it was one of our main driving points. But also there was each week we had, um, you know, we had this enjoyment factor that was um, growing as, as, as everyone was playing better, everyone's skills were getting better. The competition in our trainings uh, was, you know, going to another level where, every, you know, you saw guys, for me, um, Robbie would do these little games of um passing skills in our in our mini teams and 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 um for me like you know the catch and pass long pass is difficult but I worked on it and then my long pass was coming along and everyone was like awesome you know CJ's got his long pass going or or you know another player might have been struggling with actually passing off the other uh you know the left or the right side whichever and then they'd work on it and then in these these competitions everyone would be like oh awesome he's 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 got that nailed and and it'll just drive everyone to just to to want to to improve their micro, you know, their micro skills and what they were letting their mini teams down at because everyone was like, oh, you know, I don't want to let my mini team down because letting my mini team down 
is not only going to let that team down and we'll lose points in, in our little uh, group, but as a bigger picture, it was actually going to um, hurt us as a team um, in the competition. So, um, yeah, so there was, there was this, yeah, really interesting driving factor that was um, that was built around competition and 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 winning but it was it was it was coined as a as a fun enjoyable exercise <laughs> incredible i love it and that takes like to me craftsmanship as a leader as a coach to be able to create that vision and keep people on the bus and uh, it's not easy now one of the biggest things campbell i'd say working with athletes that i find one of the biggest challenges is external uh viewpoints you know you've got the keyboard warriors and then you've got the media. How did you feel in terms of a player when you were playing, say, Crusaders and All Blacks level? Where did the media and other people's comments show up for you? And was there any negative impact for you? Um, well, I, I, was, I, was, I was just the front row, so we, we, we hardly ever got any uh, media. But um, um, I think the, the, the key media stuff that I read and when it was talking about you know, our team um crusaders and that was in the newspaper and um you know uh, the i think the, the press was one that you know we'd have in the team room and you'd read that every um every every uh monday they'd do a big spread on the uh the, the team and, and and how they how everyone went and they'd rank the um players and and give them their own you know what they thought the rating was and you, you tried not to 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 look at it, but you always did. I mean, you always had a look, and you're like, "What? Why is he rating me like that? What have I done?" And to be honest, like, it, I think it was like a, it became a, a driving factor. You're like, "Oh, okay, that guy. You know, I'm going to do better next weekend. I'm going to go hard and 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 really, really lift the game up this you know this time." Um, and then when they made comments about the the team and in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a general sense that, you know, they might say um, Crusaders or Canterbury had a poor game. Um, that was, you know, it, it does hurt those comments because, that, you know, they're talking about almost like talking about your family, you know. You, you know you've, got, you've tried, you know, really hard that week and, and, you, and, and it, you know, it does, it, does, it does affect you, but in a positive sense it makes you drive and it makes you want to get back in there and, and, and actually prove them wrong. I mean, we. I always thought it was always best just to forget about the media and don't make comments or reply to them. Just let, let your game do the speaking, and 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 your results be the uh, answers that, that that they um that they can take from it. So that was um yeah, that was how I sort of viewed it. That's brilliant. And not not all players have that approach, and sometimes it can cripple them. And I think that that's really amazing that embrace the positive psychology side of it. Would you, reflecting back a few years ago now, but would you say that some of your leaders within the team, whether that was captains or coaches, was there conversations around managing your mindset with the media and what the media have to say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think it was because, um, you know, in the Crusades were probably very lucky that a lot of the, our, our captains were um, – legends of the game and they were you know constantly hit by the media so in a in a sort of a trickle down effect 
they would sort of, you know, <clears throat> see if someone had made a bad uh, poor comment about you in the media, they would they would give you, you know, guidance and say, oh, <laughs> you know, don't worry about that, just ignore it and, you know, prove them wrong, you know. So our, we were lucky that our, you know, our, our leaders and our team had, had gone through this and were always going through it. And so they had already established a, a coping mechanism and they were sharing it and, um, and and passing it down to us all. And I think that's the um, the uh, other great thing of the teams that I've always played with, you know, Crusaders, uh, Canterbury and, and Berets and things like that, is that the, the, the leadership of the top team, top uh, leaders, has have always passed down and helped and passed on information to the people coming through. And you see other teams where sometimes the leaders just keep it to themselves and just try and just keep moving the ship along where, where you know, that, that you know, and everyone sort of falls off a little bit. But um, we were very fortunate that we, you know, guys that had been through, you know, constantly going through, you know, media hound and all that, and, and then they'd see the young guys or, or see, you know, other guys get bad comments and they'd actually give them some, you know, you know, um, you know helpful words about, you know, I don't worry about that, just, let's just move on and just prove them wrong next week. And you came for that and you'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. And it's interesting when I think of a leader, whether this is in a corporate setting, team setting, organization setting, the leader has a, a, like a lid, I would call it a lid, and that lid represents their awareness, their emotional quotient, how <clears> they <throat> deal with people, their intelligence. And I feel like wherever that leader's lid is, everybody else in the team comes up to that lid and cannot go any further. So effectively, the team and organization stops wherever the leader is. And so I definitely think leadership development and people developing their skills, reading books, getting input from other coaches or mentors. The more the leaders lift, then you're right. It kind of drags everyone with that leader. Yeah, exactly. No, no. I, I Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. And the black shirt. So... Day one, first game. Go back to that game. What what did it mean to you to like be presented with it and then to actually wear it? Um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was just pure excitement. Um, the the week leading up to it, um, I can't recall much. I, I remember the trainings and that, but I was you know pretty you know on cloud nine really, just you know running around, just thinking this is just an, an, an ultimate dream come through. And then on the um, the Saturday, when, when you know, I, I remember the the bus ride in and into the game, and then I remember actually walking into the locker room and, and and seeing the black jersey hanging there, and you know, and this was a you know the the, the object of my complete uh, basically existence <laughs> for me and my head, my existence on the planet was was right there, and, and I remember grabbing it, and obviously. You know, being able to touch it for the first time and the real, the actual real thing. You know, it's <laughs> it's not just you know one in a shop. It's you know it's got a lot more magic than uh, one in the shop. And um, and I remember smelling it, and I remember um, all my you know childhood memories come flooding back in the backyard and all. I remember just, you know all my games sort of. I know it sounds corny, but all the games I played sort of just came flooding back and, you know, just this whole real, um, this real just, yeah, I guess emotional and, and exciting moment that my, my uh, career was, was there. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you say that, I've got like the, the goosebumps just listening to it. It's a special moment. And a couple of things that I pick out of that that I think are really crucial is you've seen it and it invoked uh, an emotion. 
then you smelt it, you touched it. And it's interesting because when you look at people who bring their dreams to life, who get to the top of their game, they always use their modalities, hearing, sight, touch, taste, smell, to, to think about goal but then when they actually reach the goal they take it in they literally breathe it in and so it's really fascinating uh, to hear you describe that moment and then talk about your modalities and you smelling it and touching it and it's, it's really cool mm, yeah no it was um yeah it was definitely uh yeah yeah it was almost like the yeah the holy grail of <laughs> absolutely of, uh, everything so um, yeah it was pretty pretty exciting yeah and one special moment, it's never, I don't think it's ever appropriate to say what was your highlight, the one highlight of your All, all Black Clear, but what was the one special moment that you, you'd love to share? One thing that was really cool, like a moment you'll never forget. Um, I, yeah. Um, I guess um, one, the one, the one moment that I'll probably never forget and this is completely left field, is when the um, team was um, um, announced, because they announced it um, uh, privately to the uh, the players who played the uh, the trial match, and then they said, you know, um, it's not going to be announced publicly until the, the following day, so please don't. Um, you can tell your loved ones, family, and that that's it. Please don't go ahead and, um, and tell anyone else. And obviously at that time, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and all that um, wonderful, wonderful social media uh, wasn't around, so it wasn't too. They weren't too concerned about that. And um, I remember because it was in Hawke's Bay, my home province. My parents there. I remember going to see mum and dad afterwards, and um, I walked into the house and they're like, "Oh, how you going?" And, and you know, just casual. They're very laid back, and um, and they said, um, "Oh, yeah, it was you know, good game. You know, well done. But, you know, you've got you've got next year to." To, to improve and, and 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 get get on with things and and I was like yeah because they kind of knew my step process and they sort of and you know because they'd known me so long they'd worked out that I I probably was going for a, aiming for the following year and then I I sort of just said to them I was like oh yep yep no yeah you definitely can uh, focus on next year but um, this year I think I might focus on the um, All Blacks because I made the I made the team and Mum sort of stopped and she was like oh okay and she gave me a hug and then dad just carried on talking about some other conversation that he was going on about and he didn't he didn't uh he didn't really it didn't hadn't sunk in or dropped or realized and then mum was like and then he sort of turned around and was looking and was like what why is what why is your mother hugging you like what, what's 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 up and then suddenly it, it all you could see it all just going through is just going back through the conversation going hang on Oh, he's just made the All Blacks, and then he got up and uh, gave me a hug and a handshake, and that was like, yeah. So that was um, that. That's one. That's probably the moment that probably sticks out the most. And uh, yeah, mm. that's amazing because they were with with you from day dot. They mm. seen the passion with that four year old Campbell. Yeah, and your passion yeah. as a teenager, and for you to bring that to to life, it's it's a huge moment that they'll never forget. Yeah, and maybe they also thought, well, thank God he's you know he finally made that because. He was driving us crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And towards the end of the career, did um did you get to decide when you were going to step down, or was that kind of decided for you? Um. So, uh, with the All Blacks, it was you know that was decided um uh, purely on selection um basis after the Lions series. Um. So I was um 
what they said was rotated out and um, um, new people came in um, purely based on performance, which, you know, you, you, it's, it's hard to take, but you understand and, and you realise and you're giving them, you know, um, uh, feedback on what you need to improve and, and where to work on and, and, and told to go back to the um, Canterbury and, and work on my... Um, my uh, my areas of uh, need, and then readdress it in the um, in the uh, the following um, campaign. Um, and then my decision to go overseas um, was based purely around I had um, um, I had I always had a desire to go overseas. Um, that just it was just a matter of when, and I come to. A conclusion and and being told you know there's a few younger players coming through and and at the Crusaders you know we had White Crockett the Franks brothers coming through and 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 you you're alongside these guys and you're training with them and they're younger than you and and they're stronger and they're bigger and they're you know you, you get the feeling you know that they are going to be good and you know and oh, this is the other great thing about the Crusaders is, is everyone passed on information there was no one. No one uh, barricading their position, or, or so you know. Everyone was just open, and 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 if the guy below you is better and is coming through, then you're going to support him, and you're going to get him there because the you know a winning team and and winning the competition is, is best for everyone. So there's always that, and um, and so there was that hot on the heels, and um, and I had been. Given a little whisper that you know I, I might not be in the protected, um, let me think, the protected twenty-two or twenty-three, I think it was back then as as a crusader, and I thought to myself that there was I didn't really, I had no desire to play anywhere else in New Zealand. Um, I didn't, yeah, I just didn't want to play anywhere else. If I couldn't play for the Crusaders or Canterbury in New Zealand, then I, I, I. I Think I decided that I'd go overseas, so that, that was my um, my thinking. So that, that was that how that all evolved. <laughs> Incredible! Thank you for sharing that. And overseas, you know, so fr- France and Russia and some big big moments. What what else um, took took part overseas? What were your highlights? <clears throat> um, so obviously, France was a a, a major um, part of my overseas. I, I played at the Ritz Olympic for um, four or five years. And um, that was in, that was incredible. Like um, just being able to um, um, uh, measure yourself against the um, well, I always thought it was one of the best forward play, um, toughest forward competitions in the top fourteen. You know, and the French competition is one of the toughest forward competitions out there. You know, they're scrumming, their their lineouts, their everything. You know, they really they really embrace the scrum over there. So um, for me, that was. Um, uh, a great test and um I I enjoyed it immensely and um <clears throat> it was you know as a tight head prop in France you're um you're treated like a king if the team's winning because they understand that um you know it's because of the tight head prop but uh on the flip side if the team loses it's the tight head prop that's uh getting you know Shunned in in in, um, in the town and 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 yelled at and and things like that. So they're very very passionate. Um, um, so that was that was awesome. I also remember like they they loved the scrumming so much that we would have they would 
published the um, training program of the uh, the team, the week training program, and they'd put the melee, which is French for scrum, on um, on a on Tuesday and I think Thursday as well, <clears throat> and it'd be in big bold bold um, bold writing, bigger than anything else on the thing. And I always wondered, like, why, why do we have the you know the scrum training you know so massive on our play sheet or our uh, week plan and um and i found out that you know it's because they publish it and it goes around to all the supporters and all that and then on that day they all turn up for the scrum training like we had like you know, wow. four or three thousand people turn up just to watch scrum training it that's was, incredible uh, it, it was yeah it was, it was it was amazing and and you sort of it was almost like you're you know you you do your weight session or, or your skills in the morning and then you <clears throat> go and get your boots and you walk out, you start walking out to the backfield where the scrum machine is and everything. And and I remember doing the first time and I was I was walking out and I was like, oh, what are we, is there a game on out here or what? And you're walking past all these, they're all lined up, you know, either side, almost like making a tunnel and they're all just, you know, looking at you going, oh, that's Johnson, that's, uh, you know, uh, Barcella, that's uh, Mark and A, and they're talking in French and that. And then you get to the, the scrum machine and there's just the big, you know, they've roped it off and there's the big crowd around oh, it. Oh. <laughs> what do you think like, makes it? That's different from Ireland. That's different from New Zealand. You just wouldn't see that. Why do you think it's so different in France? I, I I don't I, I honestly don't know I think I think they just they really love the scrum and they know that it's a it's a it's a it's a critical point of the game where it's a it's not just a restart but it's a dominant act like it's it's a it's a it's a part of the game that if 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 a team has a dominant scrum then you know that it's I guess it's the um, it's uh, it shows power it shows strength it shows everything but um, I remember I think. Sean Fitzpatrick, I think, made the, the the quote one time that he's never been, he's never lost a game with a scrum going backwards. So, um, yeah, so maybe, yeah, I think the French just understand that the scrum is, is, you know, for everything, for the backs to play well, they need a scrum to launch off um, and, and and everything like that. And we had um, a, guy, a famous, you know, you know Serge Blanco was the, the French legend. Well, he was our president of our club. And he was, you know, adamant about the scrum as well, and 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 all the players also knew. And you know, on on the field when it was time for a scrum, and we had a big scrum, we'd have the fullback and the wingers all running in to congratulate the front row. It was like <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was nice. <laughs> passionate, right? Like they're so passionate about what they do. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it was great. So that was one of the you know big things I recall about France. And then there was um, Ospreys where I played in Swansea. Um, yeah, that was um, that was that was that was cool. It was you know a nice part of the world, and um, I, I enjoyed it there. But I was only there for one year, and then um, and then I uh, I took off to um, to uh, Russia, um, and that was uh, yeah that was. Uh, a very interesting place, yeah. It was, um, I bet. It's yeah. interesting when you talk about France because I've got a friend, Adam, who played, and I think he might have played with Biritz as well, and they just talked so fondly of the experience and the crowd and the music and the chants and just the passion for the game. It's uh, yeah, You're not the first person to say how amazing it is. Yeah, I mean, like, I honestly, like, one of my uh, biggest 
games that I I actually fondly really really remember and and you know people asking you know, a, a game that that means a lot or, or you know you, you have fond memories about you know they think it might be a you have Super 14 victories and 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 the All Blacks and and they are great games. I'm not taking anything away from that, but just there was a there was always a derby match between um, Baritz and uh, Bayonne, which is a town which was only like uh, ten minutes down the road from Baritz, and they also had a top 14 team. And wow. you know, and it was because we were both in the Basque country, in the Pay Basque in the Basque country. We'd played in San Sebastian, which was in Spain at the big. Uh, Soccer stadium there, Anuweta, which held like forty thousand, and um, you know the whole both towns. I think just I think I think when that game was on, nobody was in either city. They were all down in, in Anuweta, and you know one side was red and one side was blue, and it was just a it was just a massive occasion. Like the um, it was yeah, and then afterwards, just the um, you know the the celebration and and the um, and the uh, you know, camaraderie between both clubs, even though they they absolutely hate each other. There's still, you know, that time, that, that small window after the game where everyone's just, you know, on that level where they're just a little bit too tired to think about the actual grudge or the match and just want to eat and drink and just just reflect on on what a fantastic spectacle of uh, of rugby it was and, and experience. Yeah, how mm. special, amazing. And if you would go back, is there anything you would do differently? In your rugby career, um, the only the one thing I I probably would do different, and I you know I don't know if it would have ever changed things or, or that is that when I when I made the All Blacks, I I forgot I made the fundamental mistake of becoming very complacent. Like the All Blacks, as I've as you probably realised during this whole conversation, the All Black was the goal. I forgot to actually reset that goal and refocus and 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 say right okay that that that's not the final step you know, you know I've got another step here it's, it's to be a you know a great All Black or it's to achieve ten tests or it's to achieve fifteen tests it's to keep moving that goal forward and I I I forgot to reset that and 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 lost my way and um, I think there's a couple of reasons why one was because um, for me to Make the All Blacks. I was, you know, pretty well. I was fairly exhausted from the the the, the time to get there. Um, through a lot of things, um, one was I, was I was never actually a big player. I was never a big guy, so I actually had to put weight on, and for me that was a massive struggle because I was actually quite small. So, yeah, and that was taking eating around the clock. You know, protein shakes at midnight, um, just just constantly eating just to keep that weight so I could be in the 110, 112 kilo uh, bracket where I could actually function where, where, you know, where coaches thought ideally you should be to be able to function. Um, so, yeah, so I, I achieved that goal and I, I, I unfortunately forgotten to refocus and then I went back to Canterbury and <clears throat> I, again, didn't refocus. I didn't, I couldn't work the steps out of my head if that makes sense, like, because I'd already achieved that goal, I couldn't work it out. And now I look back is that I can work the steps, steps out of my head very clearly what I need to do, what I should have done. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's probably the uh, only uh, dis- disappointment. I, no, not disappointment, but the only thing that I'd possibly uh, change. Yeah. 
Thank you for sharing that. And I think that takes a lot of honesty and it's, it's hard sometimes to go back and say that. And I, I truly see it in, in the corporate world and in the business world where people will get to CEO and then forget like, well, what's next? And so they stop growing. They stop developing themselves. They think they've arrived. And, you know, I think a lot of us are guilty of that. Like we have this big goal, we get there, but what next? Mm. And, you know, it's, it's Neil Armstrong's a good example, you know, flew first man on the moon, came back and was very quickly turned into an alcoholic and lost all of his purpose around yeah. well, what's next. Cause he didn't think yeah. of where am I headed? Well, yeah, I think you, you sum it up really well by saying, you know, you, you've arrived at that goal and you're like, you know, you've clipped the bus ticket, you popped off and you're like, oh, shit, I need to get another ticket now. I need to, I need to get onwards and upwards again. But um, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's hard to, at the time, yeah, at the time I was probably um, still over, overwhelmed by the whole experience. I was still on Club 9. Um, I probably dined out on that. Far too long, as, as as you know, one 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 does. But um, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely see the steps that I should have taken now after that, and uh, I know that, and I definitely try and um, implement that now in my life. And um, and and yeah, so yeah, it's, no. it's, yeah, that be the one learning curve I would have thought for me. Mm. That's huge. And look, I would say that you are truly leading on purpose right now and recently you've come out and talked about your sexuality and i think as it's amazing we need to be talking about this we need to be bringing it to the fore and one reason i want to talk about that is rugby you know historically is seen as this real macho sport and for rugby players to show like hey this is who i am sometimes that's hard and there's a mask that that almost gets forced on a player i have to fit this mold i have to do that so if you're up for it, I would really love to chat about, you know, what it took to work through your career and not talk about it. And then what the point at which you're like, you know what, enough's enough. I need to shine the light and I need to help guide others who are in the same place to be able to shine the light. So let's let's have a chat about it. Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, where do you want to start? <laughs> so when did you know, you know, so- as a kid, as an adult, when did it all start to, you know, like, you know what, this is who I am. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I kind of, well, as a kid, I kind of got an an inkling, a, a, a knowing when I was probably about fourteen, um, fifteen years old. Um, I think I I can actually, well, I can remember the the time I was I was with my schoolmates and um, and they were all talking about you know this this girl was she's pretty good looking, she's pretty you know she's nice and she's you know got these sort of shapes and everything like that you know what you know what guys talk about you know, oh, of course yeah and i remember sitting there in the in the, the conversation and going from a head like thinking hmm i don't really see that oh i don't yeah that's not really yeah i'm, I'm yeah no i don't see that but i um but i sorry but i um i see uh you know, I've seen some guys that are, you know, good looking and, and things like that. And um, so that was, you know, that was my first inkling is suddenly I was like, oh, uh-oh, I think I might be uh, attracted to guys. I think I might be gay. And then I was like, <clears throat> suddenly I was like in my head thinking straight away to my biggest concern, my biggest, you know, thing was like, How's this going to affect my rugby? How's this going to affect my goal? How's this going to affect my ultimate 
achievement, which I want to be and all that, because in my thinking, in my head, this idea of a gay all black wasn't, you know, wasn't wasn't part of my um my my thought process. That that should, you know, to me that was like, no, that should never no, that's not meant to be there. That's not right. You know, there's no all black that, that's gay. I'm gonna um I'm gonna push that away and I I pushed it deep down and, and thought, well, you know, I'll just hide that and just we'll forget about that one. And um so I found myself, yeah, it wasn't fitting my my ideal vision that I had in my head and probably the 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 vision that or the ideal all black that, you know, understandably how it was pitched around New Zealand was, you know, of a, a masculine guy who's, you know, you know, straight and, and that. I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't uh purposely say straight, but you know, there was the whole environment that we lived in that was um <clears throat> driving that. And um so yeah, I, I just did what uh what was best for my goal, which was to to not front it, not to to push it away and to push it deep down and and um and make sure that uh this coin of phrase this this gayness didn't uh didn't derail my um my uh my desire to be an all black. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So that was what kind of pain was there any pain or suffering internally that showed up for you because you couldn't truly express your full self? Um no, no, I don't I don't, I don't think there was. There was there was the, the only the pain and suffering was more the the fear that this my gay gay side could derail my goal. That was what was the I guess the biggest concern for me was is this going to derail my my ultimate desire, my whole thing I always wanted, is this going to do that? And and for me, I I, I thought it potentially could. So I, I pushed it away and I I, I made sure it 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 um it never rose its head, which is which is um which is very unhealthy and uh and and incredibly incredibly bad for you. And um I mean and you know ironically is it was really interesting because I, I spoke to a guy about this uh, a few weeks ago. Um, is I developed a technique of um, of using my gay well, sorry, and my gay side as a driving force to drive my rugby. Mm. So I mean, it may sound logically just completely stupid, but if I had a bad game, wasn't selected, I would turn around and I'd blame that. On because I was you know because I've been because I'm gay. That's why I had a bad game. I've got to train harder. I've got to focus more. I've got to I've got to push that down even further, and I've just got to refocus. So, funny uh, <laughs> way I probably have to thank my uh, gay side for driving me. But it wasn't until later years, until my twenties, early twenties, that I, I I realized that I had to I I couldn't keep. Driving on such a negative factor, I had to change that and find a more constructive and a positive way to drive me to my goals because that negative factor was 
any time was going to explode, was going to blow up in my face, and it was just, you know, I just just completely have a complete outer breakdown because I've just lost it all. And um, that was where, you know, a few coaches came, you know, really helpful with that. And Rob Penny was one who, um, you know, was always talked about, you know, uh, finding positive factors to drive you instead of trying to find self-hating factors to um, drive you. Um, yeah. Mm. That's really important. And Rob Penny, it's interesting. I've heard him be talked about quite a lot, and I'm really glad you brought him up and just such an influential figure, particularly in this part of the world. I mean, it's so amazing that he could see that, hey, you are uh, doing something that maybe is not so positive. He maybe didn't know the intricacies and ins and outs of it, but he could see that actually, you know, there's an implosion waiting to happen. So what do you think about for a young player now, whether they're in their teens or their 20s, and they've got ambitions. And there's, there's people, plenty of people listening right now that are not rugby players. They're leaders, they're parents, all different sorts. But what do you think, what would you say if if you were living in this day and age right now, what would you do around that gay piece? Would you say, I'm going to be more open about it? I'm going to just embrace it? Where, where do you think the world is at right now? Um, I, I think... Yeah, I, I think the world. You know, the more we normalise it, the, um, the 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 you know the the better it, it becomes for everyone. Um, I think we're we're at a point in this this world where it is getting you know really normalised, and and that was a, a, a discussion point when we decided to to come out and come out publicly. Is that um, the reason why I hadn't done it previously? Was because I was still having internal battles with myself, and I was, I was never, you know, I still wasn't a hundred percent comfortable with myself. And I, I use the old, you know, the airline analogy when you're on the uh, safety video where they say, you know, oxygen masks will appear. Put yours on first before you help others, because you know, in that sense, meaning like if you aren't a hundred percent happy or helped or or secure then you can't really help other people. And, and, and that was what, you know, we talked about. And, and then now at this age, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% happy, comfortable. And I, I, I see to, um, you know, Joe Malcolm and, and, and Rob Nickel that, um, um, you know, I want to open up this door and, and do this. And understand that there will be a lot of media, which for me was a, was a big step because I'm, you know, an incredibly private person. Um, <clears throat> but I see, look, I want to open up the door. I don't want to run away from it. I want to just stand there and, and and guide and help and 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 stand by it and make make it make it known that you know this is actually normalising. And for a you know a young guy coming through, I think. <clears throat> I think for me, it took, you know, I think it was around, again, in my 20s when I actually realised, like, and this was a big turning point for me in, 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 my, in my thinking, was that <clears throat> your goals aren't determined by your sexuality, your religion, your race. They're determined by your, your, your desire, the effort that you put in, and the willingness to to follow them through that's what determines them it's it's nothing to do with the, this other things you know your sexuality in my case that, that I built up in my head but once I realized that then I, I I could really drive that goal and knew that um you know it was um you know unstoppable um there were times in rugby <clears throat> and there was a, a real clinch point where I I had so much anxiety 
you know, their fear of people finding out, fear of it derailing my 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 ultimate goal of being an All Black. Um, and I'd I'd come home and 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 be at be at home just from training. I'd have a lot of anxiety, and then I'd I'd go to go to training, and that anxiety would, for a funny reason, would just absolutely disappear because I enjoyed this sport so much and I loved it so much and all my teammates were so good that there was no question that I was ever, ever going to give this sport up. And so I I pretty much sat down and had a thing, thought and thought, well, you know, I've got to do something because, you know, this anxiety and everything is 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 building and, and it's it's not healthy. Um, there's two things. One is to stop playing rugby or two is to start telling people. And um, as I said, there was no way in hell I was going to stop playing rugby. So it was time to tell people. And um, I told my parents, for the first people I told, just out of just out of pure respect. Um, and for me, you know, they just, my family meant so much to me and that. And I knew that, you know, they, yeah, I, I think it was a safe zone as well. I knew that they would, <laughs> they wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> Even That's though great. I, even though I built it up, because you build these things up in your head and you just keep building. You think that everyone's going to have a problem. But the reality is, well, in my case, yeah, no one had a problem. <laughs> it's like telling you so we've run out of milk. <laughs> and tell me this, what advice do you have for parents? There's lots of parents that listen in on the show. Uh, if you know their child comes to them or they're starting to see signs that, hey, this is maybe the way our child is and this is how they express, what, what advice do you have for them? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess... I, I think the the only advice I'd give to them is just be be happy that that your your child's decided to um, tell you and and be be um, be um, and be um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, oh, um, sorry, I've just forgotten the word I was looking for. Um, you know, it's 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 quite a um, it's quite a moment that I've actually, you know, chosen you to confide that in. Like it's um, um, that they obviously respect you. That's the word I was looking for. They obviously respect you enough that they want to tell you. Um, so yeah, be just be happy and 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 yeah, I guess yeah, be happy and supportive and um, and and also, I think ask questions. Like like don't don't just don't just brush it aside. I think there's a very it's very easy for people now and parents and, and, and things for when kids tell them this, they, they try not to, to over-dramatise it or, or make it an issue or make it a big deal. But they've, they've gone so far down that spectrum that when, you know, the kid, you know, kids tell them, they're sort of like, oh, that's, that's lovely, and move on. And then, the, you know, the kid's sitting there going, oh, well, that wasn't a big deal, but it was kind of missing something. So um, I think they should, yeah, be be um, be 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 willing to um, be be happy, be grateful, and and that they've come to tell them. And then if they have questions, then just ask, ask questions, because I think the more that parents and the kids can talk about it openly, is there is more of an understanding and 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 more of a normalization to it. You know, hmm. I'm so appreciative that you've said that. Uh, it's it's healthy for the for the parents to ask, and probably equally healthy for close friends to be like, "Hey, tell me more about that. I want to know more. Like when and how does it feel, and what's it like, and you know what what is the world like around you because of of, of who you are, and how can I help?" Like, I think 
you saying that right now will help a lot of people. And I often think of discrimination um, in Northern Ireland. It was on religion. Yeah. So depending on where you're from, you might not get opportunities or you might be bullied or beaten. Or um, In New Zealand, and then when I lived in North America, often discrimination was based on skin color. Mm-hmm. But I could equally imagine um, based on sexuality that there's major discrimination. And I can't speak for, from experience. I'd love to ask you, you know, what's your experience been in terms of is the world a bit different and are you treated differently in any situations? Um, no, I, I've never, I've never come across that sort of um, experience. Um, I mean, there's, there's always, uh, you know, um, there's always some people that will um, look frown upon if you're, you know, holding hands in the street with my partner or something like that. Um, but I've never, it's never, when I say frowned upon or, you know, they always look at it, but I think it's more of a look of curiosity or just, you know, a second take, like, oh, it was, you know, like, oh, it was two guys, you know, I I, yeah. I think. But, um, and I'm not saying that that there isn't any stuff out there that is bad because there there, there is. And I've been very fortunate to um, live in countries and, and places that have, um, you know, been fully uh, open and respectful and, um and fully diverse, uh, you know, barring Russia, but um, it's a whole yeah. other story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and tell me um, this, for the young guy out there who wants to be an all-black or wants to be PGA number one golfer, <laughs> can he be just fully himself, embrace it, be open, and just get on with it and still achieve that goal? Do you believe that's possible? Yep, I, I honestly do believe that that's possible, and it it would be a, a more of a massive hurdle and and his and that person's own head to overcome, because the you know you you build up in your mind you build up all this angst and and worry that that, that people you know won't um won't like you or they'll they'll disagree with it or anything like that, but but in reality is you know people just don't. Yeah, and in sport especially, I think once you're in that competitive environment or once you're in that environment, everyone else has that same focus on that same drive about winning, about about, about achieving, about all and and even you know, even all the um <laughs> even all the, the heterosexuals there aren't thinking about heterosexual stuff or anyway or anything. Like it's all just, you know, it's it's purely on the sports. And I think if a young person can can work that through in their mind and know that and that it's 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 normal, and I think with more people like myself coming out and normalising it, then it, it'll be a lot easier for them to work it through their mind, and they just can just continue and be straight up focused on what their dream and desire is, and, and they can just follow that um, that goal, you know. Mm. No, it's just incredible. I'm very very grateful for you being who you are and for coming out and and telling the world and saying, hey, this is normal. And because the world needs to hear that, that's so important. And we talked about you setting these goals, all blacks and crusaders, and then working back from them. What's next? What are you What are you doing right now? What are you excited about? Where, where are you working towards in your life right now? Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, working through to a few things with um, just exploring some um, talking stuff with the with the rugby union, getting around. Like I'm pretty passionate to get around and just. Um, and share the story and share with the the within rugby and in sport around New Zealand the, the whole idea of this 
you know, of uh, masculinity and, and all that isn't actually what it's, you know, what it's what it's about. It's about, you know, caring and awareness and um and and the fact that if you if you're in a, a team sport and and you and you uh, you show caring and awareness to your teammates and you understand what they're going through and they understand what you got, you're going through then it can make your whole team a lot lot stronger because you have a bond and you actually have an understanding that that oh okay um you know someone's going through you know a little bit of a breakup with his girlfriend I'll get alongside have a cup of coffee with him have a chat just take his mind off it so you know can focus on on training and it also creates the fact like if someone's having a bad training or you know a bad you know dropping the ball or something like that there's a reason why that's happening <clears throat> for someone who you know normally doesn't drop it other than you know skills and things like that but there's a reason so get alongside them instead of you know, you know kicking the dog while it's down and, and barking at it and, and telling it to catch the, the thing and all that get alongside them afterwards and just find out just 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 give support, you know, and, and you'd be amazed at how much that that can actually help someone, you know, they, they, just knowing that there's people there that they can turn to, and in turn it'll make your team and and your sport so much stronger, and, and you'll have this this awesome bond that will, you know, you'll just be all focused and and, and driven, and um and yeah. So. That's really valuable, incredibly valuable, and I, I look forward to seeing you down here in Canterbury. Um, certainly, I'm sure down at the, the Canterbury Rugby team, and you've. You've spent a lot of time at Rugby Park, yeah. uh, so it'd be great to connect. And just before we wrap up, I'd love to ask you one last question. So if we were to fast forward right to the very, very end of your life, maybe we're in your late 90s or with all the developments, you're in your hundreds, and you know it's your last day here on earth, and you've got a very young person in your life who you love dearly, and you want to see them succeed. And that person says to you, Campbell, I want to lead my life on purpose. What should I do? What would you say to that person? I would say to them, just forget about what the ideal world is and what the ideal uh, vision or what the world thinks should be ideal for what you're driving for and just drive for it as you see it. And go for it. <clears throat> Does that I make sense? Oh, absolutely. That's powerful. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being who you are. And I'm really looking forward to connecting with you in person really soon. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much, James. Really enjoyed the uh, chat. It was awesome. That was fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership. Please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks. And leaders, it's that time to get out there and lead your life on purpose.